0: Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It's yours truly, Brian Earle, back for another season of Christmas Past. I've got a fun season lined up for you with more of your Christmas memories and, of course, more of the fascinating stories behind your favorite Christmas traditions. But we're going to start things off a little differently than usual, with a family gathering of sorts. Thanksgiving is a day when the whole family comes together, and that's also true for the growing family of Christmas podcasts. You may remember last year that several of us came together to tell you the classic Christmas story, The House of the Seven Santas. Well, we're back to our old tricks, and this time it's in a more official capacity. You see, the world of Christmas podcasts just keeps growing and growing. So a bunch of us got together to form the Christmas Podcast Network, a collection of the best Christmas shows around. We've got comedy shows, history shows like mine, movie review shows, and of course no collection of Christmas podcasts would be complete without a couple of shows dedicated to the Hallmark Channel. You'll hear me mentioning the network and the shows in it all throughout the season. But today we're coming together to bring you this special episode. And because Thanksgiving is the day when most people are finally ready to listen to Christmas music, We figured we'd share some stories and thoughts and fun facts about that as a way to kick things off. I'll go first with a fun little story you may have never heard about a song you definitely have. As a Massachusetts native, I feel a certain pride in knowing that some of our most beloved Christmas traditions began right in my own backyard. The first department store Santa Claus appeared in the city of Brockton, a 10-minute drive from where I grew up. And that well-known song, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, well, that was written by a minister from the nearby town of Wayland. And speaking of well-known Christmas songs, there's another one that came to be in the town of Medford, just a few miles north of Boston, in 1850. The town even placed a commemorative plaque marking the exact location where the song was written. But here's where it gets interesting. Savannah, Georgia, has its own commemorative plaque making the same claim. This is the surprising story of one of the best-known and most-sung Christmas songs ever, one that isn't even truly a Christmas song, and the strange feud over its true birthplace. And it all centers on a songwriter named James, who was born in Massachusetts to a good family, the son of a Unitarian minister. His nephew was the famous financier J.P. Morgan. James himself was a bit of a wanderer. In his early teens, he'd run away to sea aboard a whaling ship and then he served in the Navy, and later tried and failed at going into business in California during the gold rush. He wrote songs for minstrel shows and for the Confederacy during the Civil War. He had joined a Confederate cavalry in Georgia, serving as a company clerk, even though his own family were abolitionists. All of this we know for certain. What we don't know for certain, and may never know, is when and where our story really begins. Here's how one side goes. James had a talent for music and an idea for a melody, but what he didn't have was a piano. So he bundled up against the November New England chill and trudged through the snow to Simpson Tavern, a boarding house and home to the town of Medford's one and only piano. And on that day in 1850, in the presence of one Mrs. Waterman, the proprietor of Simpson Tavern, James sat down at the piano and began the process of translating the idea in his head into notes and fingerings on the keyboard. The tune was simple and sweet and jaunty, and Mrs. Waterman is said to have called it a, quote, merry little tune. With the tune settled on, now all he needed were some lyrics, and James found inspiration in the quintessentially New England scenes all around him, in the snow covering the ground and the treetops, and the activities people partook of in the snow in courtship, and betting on races. James set his verses and choruses to paper to accompany his merry little tune. Now, here's how the other side of the story goes. In 1857, James was living in Savannah, where he was the musical director of the Unitarian Church there. And as November approached, he found himself homesick for those snowy New England scenes that he had left behind. So when it was time for James to write a special song for the children's choir to sing at the Thanksgiving church service, he came up with this festive tune evoking the glory of crisp air and cheeks rosy from the cold and outdoor winter fun of the romantic variety. Now for many years Medford made its claim unchallenged, until one day in 1969, when a Savannah man named Milton Ron first made a counterclaim. Because after a little research, he was able to determine that James was living in Savannah when he published the song in 1857. And though it is possible that James wrote the song in Medford in 1850, it's unlikely that he'd wait seven years to publish it. So the argument goes. Which apparently convinced enough people because in 1985, the mayor of Savannah erected the commemorative marker across from James's church. And that didn't sit too well with the folks in Medford. So a few years later, the mayor of Medford wrote an angry letter to the mayor of Savannah, declaring Medford to have the true and rightful claim, to which the mayor of Savannah replied with an angry letter of his own, standing his ground. And this is where we still are today, nearly 30 years later, with both sides claiming ownership and neither side willing to budge, and not much to go on in terms of settling the score once and for all. But it's easy to see why each place would want to stick to its guns. For bragging rights about being the true home to one of the most famous Christmas carols of all. One that doesn't even mention Christmas, or any holiday for that matter. One about courtship and racing and wintertime fun. The first song ever broadcast from space, the jaunty little melody that children often learn as their first song on the piano, and which was first published in 1857 under its original title, the one-horse open sleigh, which the author would change two years later when republishing the song as Jingle Bells. You'd probably agree that Jingle Bells is one of those songs that's more fun to sing than to listen to. I mean, when was the last time you heard it on the radio? Singing Christmas songs is one of the great things about the season, as Tim Babb could tell you. Tim is the host of Can't Wait for Christmas, a year-round podcast where an obscure stand-up comedian explores the traditions, trappings, and terrificness of the merriest holiday on earth.
1: One of my most favorite Christmas traditions is caroling. Getting together with a group of people going door to door and spreading the Christmas joy through song. It's the best. When I was in high school choir, we would actually break up into quartets at Christmas time and the teacher would rent us out to sing at parties or malls or wherever. It was a great way to raise money for our out-of-town concerts. And it's where I learned quickly which carols were crowd favorites, which ones were the most fun to sing and which ones had the most Christmas spirit. Now, on my show, I do a countdown feature called Five Golden Things, and today, I'm going to utilize that feature to list the five best songs to sing when you go caroling. Here we go! Five Golden Things <coughs> Number five Silent Night Silent This is the granddaddy of all carols. Everybody is going to love it if you sing this song. We devoted an entire feature to this on my show, and it's a beautiful song that has revered the world over. It's also a great song to use as a cover if you're trying to tell your best friend's wife that to you she is perfect. Boom! Love Actually reference, baby! Nailed it! Number four. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. There are a lot of reasons to like this song. It's a little more upbeat than songs like Silent Night. It makes some use of some serious old school grammar with the Lord is come, but for me, I especially like the harmony. If you're caroling with a bunch of musically inclined people, this is a great one to sing because it's just fun and it sounds great when you harmonize. Number three. Hark the Herald Angels Sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing Glory to the Newborn King This is a great one because not only is it a classic Christmas carol if you get nervous and forget the words you can always pull a Charlie Brown and save yourself Ooh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle jingle all the way My absolute favorite Christmas carol For my money, it's the most singable Christmas carol there is If you're trying to get the people you're singing to to sing along, this is the song Everybody knows these lyrics Wait, if this is your favorite Christmas song, why is it at number two? Well, imaginary listener, it sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog I'll tell you when we get to number one But first, we've got an... Honorable Honorable 12 Days of Christmas. On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Yes, if you're a choral group and you're renting yourself out by the hour, this is a song that will take up a good chunk of that hour because it's super long. Though, you might want to bring a cheat sheet, it can be hard to remember the gifts for each day. Maybe a podcast should do a deep dive into this song before the end of the year. Hmm. Anyway, on to number one Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Now, this is not my favorite carol, but it is the best one for keeping everybody's energy up. Not just for the song itself, but the unofficial parts of the song that everybody loves to shout out. Like a light bulb, All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. Like Pinocchio. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. Like Monopoly. Whether you're the caroler or the audience member, shouting out like a maniac is always fun, and Rudolph gives you the chance to do it under the guise of Christmas spirit. Well, that's my list. Hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you can think of some songs I left out that are great for Christmas caroling. In the meantime, who's next?
0: If you know about caroling, you've likely also heard of wassailing. They're similar, but different. What's the difference? Well, in short, alcohol. Craig Kringle takes it from here. He's the host of Weird Christmas, a podcast dedicated to all things holly, jolly, and oddly.
2: Why don't we wassail anymore? That's a Christmas music tradition we need to bring back. Caroling may be fun and all, but for most of us, going out in the cold to sing songs to people who don't really care, not a thing. But if you tell people you're going to take a massive bowler jug, fill it with some crazy strong spiced up liquor, and go around singing drinking songs and begging for money, you might get more takers. Because that's how people used to do Christmas, and they were better people than us. Now, if you don't think you've heard of wassailing, you're wrong. Everyone knows this song. Here we come a caroling among the leaves so green Here we come a wandering so fair to be seen But the way most of us know that song's a travesty because it's really called here we come a wassailing, not caroling It used to be all about getting seriously drunk on Christmas Eve or even all through the 12 days and nights of Christmas if you really had the spirit and not only was it about getting drunk, it was also about demanding that the people you're singing to give you more booze and that they give you some cash or tips because you're singing so well.
0: But the butler of this house put on his golden ring
3: Let him bring us a glass of beer and that we shall sing let joy come to you and to you your wife too And God bless you and send you a happy new year And God send you a happy new
1: year We have got a little purse of stretching leather skin We want a little money to line it well within
2: Now that is a Christmas tradition. The other thing that's great about wassail is that it isn't just the thing that you do, like caroling for alcohol and tips. It was also the drink itself, or came to be around the 16th century or so. And this was no weak man's drink. This was some nasty-sounding stuff, a base of apple cider that ended up getting all frothed up with spices, toast—yeah, they threw burnt bread in there, because why not—eggs, and roasted crab apples that were thrown in crazy hot and made the whole thing thick, sour, and gooey. Some people even called it lamb's wool because the apple pulp congealed into this stringy mess like an alcoholic honeycomb. Nothing like drinking a fermented sweater. Somehow, it just seems very English. But it goes back even further. Before the Christians made it to Britain, the apple farmers in the South would all go out to their orchards during the dark midwinter to throw cider on their trees and sing songs and chants to bring out a good harvest and fight off the evil spirits. That kind of morphed into the wandering and singing during Twelfth Night in New Year, and it's probably where wassail got its apple cider base. And the word wassail itself even shows up in Beowulf, the old Anglo-Saxon epic poem, as a kind of salute to good health. There are even older legends of a King Vortigern who used the phrase to seduce a serving girl during a midwinter festival, and it kind of caught on. Anyway, all of that is why wassailing is in dire need of a comeback. Instead of sitting around watching It's a Wonderful Life for the 75th time, what if we all grabbed a lusty serving wench or buff man-servant, pick your poison? filled a huge bowl with some brown, frothy, nasty alcoholic muck, yelled at some trees, and sang until our neighbors emptied their liquor cabinets and their wallets because that's what the tradition says they should do. Wouldn't that be a happier way to spend Christmas? I think so.
0: Most of my favorite Christmas songs are much older than I am, but sometimes I'm surprised to find out just how new some of them really are. Do You Hear What I Hear is one example. It sounds so reminiscent of much older carols like What Child Is This? I didn't realize until recently that that song is actually from the early 1960s. Well, Dwayne Bailey has more to say about that. He's the host of Tinsel Tunes, a podcast that goes into great detail about Christmas music.
4: Whether you're singing quietly along while shopping at a mall, caroling by candlelight, or belting out a festive tune during a holiday party, You probably know the words to your favourite Christmas song, but what about their meanings? Songs like Do You Hear What I Hear has apocalyptic undertones. In 1962, during the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, songwriters Noel Regney and Gloria Shane Baker, whom were married at the time, wrote it as a plea for peace during the threat of nuclear war, which was a very real fear of America at the time. Regney had been invited by a record producer to write a Christmas song, but he was hesitant due to the commercialism of the Christmas holiday. It has since sold tens of millions of copies and has been covered by hundreds of artists. When Bing Crosby or Johnny Mathis or Carrie Underwood sing of A Star, A Star Dancing in the Night with a Tail as Big as a Kite, it conjures a mental vision of the biblical star of Bethlehem, leading the Magi to the Son of God. It also invokes a nuclear missile. During this time, the producer was in the studio listening to the radio to see if we had been obliterated. Regney once explained, While on my way home, I saw two mothers with their babies in strollers. The little ones were looking at each other and smiling. This inspired the first line of the song, said the night wind to the little lamb. With this context, a perennial Christmas standard with a feel-good mood such as this song suddenly seems much more haunting, even modern. Not that it's not haunting on its own, like many great Christmas songs, it is a one of call and response, and of dramatic shifts in volume and pitch. Each refrain begins with a question, sung solemn and low, and then jumps up the scales for the answer. This creates a sense of size, of craning upwards for revelation. The lyrics are expressive, highlighting a conversation between animate objects and not. For instance, a voice as big as the sea. The mentions of the child make the song Christian, but when there's the command for people everywhere to pray for peace, the import is beyond any one religion. Baker once said that because of the fearful mood of the nation at the time, she and Regney had a hard time singing Do You Hear What I Hear without crying. Our little song broke us up. Perhaps with the current state of the world, there's reason enough for it to have the same effect today, unfortunately.
0: I had a copy of Bing Crosby singing Do You Hear What I Hear on vinyl when I was growing up. In fact, I still do, and I keep a vinyl record player just so I can listen to those records from my childhood every year. I remember the records playing as we decorated the tree the day after Thanksgiving. Well, Mike Westfall has decorated a tree or two to Christmas music in his day, he's the host of Advent Calendar House, where Mike and his friends discuss their favorite Christmas and holiday TV specials and commercials.
5: One of my earliest memories, not just of Christmas, but of being alive, is decorating the tree when I was four years old. And by decorating the tree, I mean watching my parents do it while I jump on the couch singing along to the most important Christmas soundtrack of my life, John Denver and the Muppets, A Christmas Together. And I'd chime in with ba-dum, bum, bum. It never quite feels like Christmas to me without singing Muppets, even when they're singing a song that has nothing to do with Christmas. And there are a lot of Muppet songs we only associate with Christmas by approximation. One example on this album is When the River Meets the Sea, a song about death and the peaceful transition to the afterlife. But it's a song we only listen to at Christmas time, because composer Paul Williams wrote it specifically for the Jim Henson special Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Despite the Gift of the Magi-style story and being set during the days leading up to Christmas, None of the songs from Otter* have anything to do with the holidays. But for so many of us, December doesn't feel right without some jug band music and a mess of Mama's Barbecue. I came across another, better-known song while watching a holiday special for the Advent Calendar House. 1978's Christmas at Walt Disney World begins with a choir of Christmas carolers singing My Favorite Things from The Sound of Music. Sure, there's a passing mention of snowflakes and sleigh bells, silver-white winters, and brown paper packages tied up with strings, but you won't find any direct ties to any holiday in the lyrics. So how did it become a Christmas song? Well, years before she was cast in the film version of The Sound of Music, Julie Andrews sang the song on a TV Christmas special for The Gary Moore Show in 1961. But that alone wasn't what made it a holiday staple. The answer, it turns out, had to do with early promotion for the Sound of Music film. According to a 2017 Billboard article by contributor Fred Bronson, My Favorite Things First turned up on a Christmas album by singer Jack Jones in 1964 after a promoter for the movie suggested its inclusion. The Billboard article adds the album's producer, Mickey Cap, initially protested, saying, That's not a Christmas song. To which the promoter replied, Just add sleigh bells. The December after the Sound of Music hit theaters in 1965, My Favorite Things ended up on more Christmas albums by Andy Williams, Eddie Fisher, and notably The Supremes, whose version of the song can be heard in this year's new animated retelling of The Grinch.
0: Now, Mike mentioned Emmett Otter, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies of all. And I love the soundtrack, too. Lots of our favorite Christmas songs are part of movie soundtracks. Silver Bells, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, Baby It's Cold Outside, those are all movie songs. Well, the guys at Christmas Creeps know a thing or two about that. Christmas Creeps is your one-stop shop for awful holiday movies year-round, where hosts Joseph Wade, Johnny Five, the Human Robot, and Mr. Bradford explore the worst that Christmas cinema has to offer. But today, they'll explore some music from one of the best.
6: Greetings, holiday shoppers. This is Joseph Wade here for Christmas Creeps. Uh, Today, I'm here with our good friend and music expert Libby Cudmore to discuss one of her favorite Christmas movie soundtracks. Libby, tell me, what is your favorite uh, Christmas movie soundtrack?
3: My favorite Christmas movie soundtrack is, like, hands down, The Nightmare Before Christmas.
6: That's a really good choice, like especially it, considering like it's one of the, it's like, I guess, the only real Christmas movie that kind of transcends holidays. Like you, once you hit October, you can put on Nightmare Before Christmas and then let it let it send you right on through, you know, New Year's.
3: Yeah. And it doesn't there's something about it. I don't know if it's because it's tied to a film where I have a real thing with Christmas music where I don't I don't want to hear it before December 1st like I will go into a rage if I hear it before December 1st but the nightmare before Christmas is exempt from that rule because it's Danny Elfman and Danny Elfman can do literally whatever he wants at all times
6: uh, but yet also like because it's so much of it is also like Halloween music so mm-hmm. it really it really sort of su- serves du- dual purposes
3: yeah which and is so great. You can kind of it's a uh, you could bridge through November and it's also just phenomenal it's, it's just so... so
6: well written <laughs> you know and so much of the so much of the music is tied to the story and so much of the story is told through song mm-hmm. that you can really get a full sense of the, the movie just by listening to the soundtrack it's great yes
3: but um, it's I've had this on tape CD and now thanks to my friend Corey uh, vinyl picture disc Ooh. so this is one of the albums uh, that I have had uh, in all formats
6: that's that's always yeah. uh, that that's the sign of a true fan right there.
3: Oh yeah, no, I am <laughs> hardcore. I'm in for the Nightmare Before Christmas.
6: So, um, among the songs in Nightmare Before Christmas, which one do you stands out as, I guess, the most Christmassy?
3: Probably, what's this? Is like that's my big uh, Christmas song. But I have been known to play Making Christmas while decorating my Christmas tree or wrapping presents. <laughs>
6: of course. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's too, it's too perfect, you know, cause he's making Christmas.
3: <laughs> but it's in that minor key. It's so like,
6: it's like a it's death so dirge when you're just like wrapping presents, making Christmas, like you're on a symbi- you're on like a, a assembly line in like Yeah. you know,
3: <laughs> there's coal dust everywhere. Yeah. And that's because I love, I love Christmas. But I also am not super great. I'm terrible at wrapping presents. And I'm not mm-hmm. real great about, like, I don't decorate for Christmas. And I think my husband would like to do, like, more. And, I like, I insist on having a tree. But I don't do garlands. And I don't do the whole thing. So it does feel a little bit, he's like, let's do the tree. Like, I got to do this <laughs> sh-.
6: so so you, I So like you, a- you need something that's going to, like, motivate you to, like, get the job done. And
3: Yeah. And I yeah. love the tree when it's up. But the idea of like having to assemble our tree and get all the lights and everything on it is just like, really. Yeah,
6: it's it's kind of a chore.
3: Making Christmas, yeah, um, and shopping. I hate shopping.
6: But so so yeah, like making Christmas is like the the, the really good uh, song to put on when you're really trying to get things done for the holiday season. But then what's this is that's the song that you play when it's like mid November and you're, you're finally ready to commit to Christmas and it's, you're, you're excited about it again, you know?
3: Yes. And it's just the, the, that one to me, I think the orchestration is so much better. And Danny Elfman's voice is so beautiful. It's so lilting. And so it's like warm cocoa. It just like goes (laughs) through you and makes you feel good. It is just—it's lovely. It's just pure loveliness, and every bit of his phrasing is gorgeous. And even just like I'm, as I'm picturing the scene in my head, it's just a beautiful scene, and the colors are so gorgeous. And I do—I love, love stop motion animation, really, really do.
4: Well,
6: I'm looking up the lyrics for this real quick because there's like one line, there's one couplet in here that I really—I've always loved, one verse, I guess.
3: There's children throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads, they're busy building toys and absolutely no one's dead. Like How did you a, know? That was because, the one because it's brilliant and it's so weird. Yeah.
6: It's it's the whole movie in like in like four lines.
3: I know, and just that like that throwing heads is something so innocent that they do, and mm. whereas like in the real world, like that would be savage and people would be dead, and like, and absolutely no one's dead. And no like, one's
6: dead here. It's great. It's I love it. It's so weird. It. <laughs>
3: People are alive here because obviously they're sentient in Halloween Town. I mean, they are sentient skeleton and a sentient ragdoll, but they're alive. An ascension bug man,
6: right? Exactly. Everyone, everyone's alive here, and things are vibrant and colorful, and everything that I'm not. Yeah, is, that's kind of the theme of the, of the song. But yeah, like, what's this? It really is. It's
3: it so- it sparkles. It sounds like sparkles.
6: It is like the I think it's the one song on this entire soundtrack that you could play outside of the movie. And it'd be mm-hmm. as, as like a Christmas song on the radio.
3: Yeah. Sorry. Partly,
6: partly because because everybody everybody loves it. But also yeah. just because like, I don't know, it's the one thing that's really like vibrant and, and excited to be a part of the Christmas season, you know?
3: Yes. And just don't play it before December 1st or I'll get mad.
6: Right. Thanks, Libby, for being here with me.
3: Thank or, you for having me. Always.
6: Anytime. Uh, we will see y'all later.
3: I'll see you later.
0: Of course, at the end of the day, Christmas music is a tradition, and more than the music itself, it's about the activities and celebrations and good times that go with it. So let's close out this family gathering with some traditions related to Christmas music from our friends at Tis the Podcast. Hosts Julia, Tom, and Anthony keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year with weekly episodes about your favorite movies and TV specials.
7: I would like to tell you about one of my Christmas traditions uh, having to do with music. And this one, I'm going to take it back a few years. It's not a tradition I continue, but it is something that means a lot to me because it was where my Christmases started. So back in Magnolia, Arkansas, where my grandma was, we would go every Christmas. And as we were decorating her handmade tree, the form was handmade and all 225 ornaments were handmade in the Depression era with bits and pieces of stuff that she could find. We would put old Christmas records on her record player. We would put the Elvis record on, and we would put another record that I can't even tell you who sang it, but it was the weirdest, funniest, old thing I've ever heard in my life. And we would sing and laugh because, man, old records are, like, weird, (laughs) weird. Sometimes um, it's where my love slash hate relationship with Blue Christmas, Elvis's Blue Christmas started. Um, and and to this day, when I hear it, I, I like the crackles of the vinyl, if I can hear it, regardless of the fact that I really don't like that song, <laughs> but I do kind of like it. Um, so anytime I'm decorating the tree in the back of my mind, I always hear vinyl, Elvis. And I think very fondly of a family that's not really around anymore because they were old back then. Uh, so that's my music tradition. Um, what about y'all's?
8: Every year, one of my favorite things we do as a family is we go to a lessons and carols service at Christine's parents' church. Um, it's a tradition that started at King's college in England where the Uh, choir and congregation sing Christmas hymns dispersed between different biblical readings all building up to the birth of Christ. Um, It's a really fun service. We either do that or we go hear Handel's Messiah. We have not been able to go for the last couple of years because of a crazy loud child, but we're going to try Lessons and Carols. Uh, we're actually going to try twice. We're going to try two services this year, and I'm really excited because it's just this, this beautiful development of Christmas music and telling the Christmas story all in one. It just gives me all the feels. How about you? Anthony? I
9: listen to Christmas
8: music every year. You? Wait, uh, uh, that's not fair. You can't say every year because you don't stop listening to Christmas music.
9: Ah, <laughs> uh, the years still go by. <laughs> Um, No, I don't really have... I mean, we listen to music every year when we're decorating the tree. But, like, you know, usually we'll just have one of our Christmas playlists on Shuffle. There's not a specific album or anything we put on. It's just... yeah, Our most recent album... So I have a Christmas playlist, and I change the day every year. Um, That's cheating. Well, no, because I I was going to say I change it every year. So while I have all these different albums with different covers of every song, all loaded onto my iPod or whatever, iPod, iPhone. Um, <laughs> I don't have an iPod still. I um, <laughs> every year I, my playlist I only like one version of each Christmas song on it, so I'm not hearing like five versions of insert Christmas carol here so every year I painstakingly go through this list and see what's staying, what's going, what's being replaced by a different uh, cover there are a few that have changed recently you
8: said you don't have albums in heavy rotation Christine and I for several years have had a couple of albums in heavy rotation one of them is Sting's Winter's Night which is amazing and has uh, him covering some older English Christmas hymns that you don't hear every day, like Soul Cake which is fun but my favorite is from an artist named Simon Haja and his album, Finally Christmas. If you guys want to add a new Christmas tradition, I highly recommend it. You can find it on Bandcamp, and it's amazing.
9: I don't have specific traditions to go with Christmas music, music generally. There are certain covers of certain songs that bring up memories from Christmas's past for me. Not necessarily traditions, just specific memories.
7: Speaking of those memories, I think Tom and I might have a new musical Christmas tradition that you are single-handedly responsible for. What? It's not Christmas until I hear you sing, it's Marley and Marley. <laughs> <laughs>
9: <laughs> it's Marley and Marley <laughs> green. <angry. laughs>
7: And there it is, (laughs) bringing our love of movies and music together for you this Christmas season. Thanks so much for
8: listening. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. (laughs) Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad.
0: If you'd like to know more about any of the shows you've heard here today, please go to christmaspodcastnetwork.com. That's where you can find out more about each show, find out how to follow them on social media and where to subscribe. And I'd like to give a shout out to the other shows in the network that couldn't be here today. Hey, that's how family gatherings go, not everyone can always make it every time. But the network is also proud to include Deck the Hallmark. Bran loves Hallmark Channel movies, Panda thinks they're just so-so, and Dan hates them. But they're going to watch and discuss all 37 that premiere this year three guys watching Hallmark Channel movies, what could go wrong? We're also lucky to have Hallmark and Jess, where Mark and Jessica laugh, shout, and probably sing too much as they break down Hallmark Channel movies. And finally, we have It's a 90s Christmas Podcast. Lyle and Lassa head back to the 90s each week to discuss a Christmas movie or TV sitcom episode from the decade that gave us Jingle All the Way and Urkel. Again, you can find out more about all of those shows at Christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Now next time things will sound a little more back to normal around here as we dig into the fascinating stories behind your favorite Christmas traditions and share your Christmas memories. It's never too late to send me one, you know. Just record a voice memo into your phone and send it to ChristmasPasspodcast at gmail.com, or leave a voicemail on my new Google Voice line at six five zero. Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks to Can't Wait for Christmas, Weird Christmas, Advent Calendar House, Tinsel Tunes, Christmas Creeps, and Tis the Podcast, and as always, thank you for listening. This show is now just one part of the world of Christmas Past. There's a very active Facebook group and a YouTube channel, and of course the usual social media-ing on Twitter and Instagram. The best way to find me in any of those places is to start at the all-new blog at christmaspast.media. And yep, that really is the address, christmaspast.media. Lots of quizzes, articles, videos, infographics, guest posts, announcements, and all kinds of good stuff. Check it out. And you'll find links to all of my social profiles and the Christmas Podcast Network, too, at the bottom of every page. Please subscribe to Christmas Past wherever you get your podcasts, and if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll send you a sticker to say thanks, because you're helping more people find the show. Email me for details about that, and I'll see you in just a few days with more stories from Christmas Past.